Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I am Kate Kennedy, your host. And if you'll allow me to introduce myself in under two minutes, I'll keep it short. These deep dives bring in a lot of new people, so I know I do the same spiel over and over, but I want people to understand why I'm here and my background and why I might have certain perspectives on things. And above all else, just to welcome you with some context, because I'm so, so grateful to anybody that came here to get my opinion on all things T-Swift. I am an entrepreneur, best known for inventing something called the Reminder Mat through my namesake company, Be There in Five, many moons ago when I was at a corporate marketing job helping brands place their ads and TV and digital properties, and just kind of getting a crash course in the media industry, I decided to start a small doormat biz on the side, as every parent dreams their child does. And one day when paralyzed with fear that I was going to burn down my apartment by leaving my curling iron on, a la Phoebe and Rachel, I decided that I would use my doormat as a canvas and I would turn it upside down and use it to remind me of things on my way out instead of a welcome mat that sees you on your way in. That is how Be There in Five, the company was born. It takes off. I leave my job. I'm thrust into the lonely world of self-employment. I become obsessed with listening to podcasts. And due to my Instagram following from my company, I start talking about the stuff I care about, which is popular culture. And before I knew it, I became better known for talking about pop culture in a somewhat unfounded and highly editorialized manner, more so than I was ever known for the business itself. So in effort to minimize the potential of having those god-awful Morse code chiclet levels of 20-plus stories a day, I decided to continue the conversation offline and to start a podcast where I can have more intimate, detailed discussions about all of the things that I'm curious about that I spend hours upon hours reading and digesting to the point where it makes me in a full-blown sprint to my destination more often than not texting I'll be there in five to my friends. And lastly, amidst all of these changes uh, between starting this company and leaving my job, starting the podcast, I also wrote a book. You know how you have your real career and then like the career you've always wanted to do since you were a kid that you assumed isn't super practical, but you know, you always have it in the back of your mind anyway. Um, I've always wanted to write. I always written a lot of poems and I, to get a publishing deal for a fully sarcastic, somewhat irreverent, fully rhyming book about social media was one of the coolest accomplishments of my life. And it's called Twinkle Twinkle, Social Media Star. It's an internet fairy tale of fame, fortune, and followers, and it explores what it would be like if a mom was explaining to her child the concept of being an influencer or social media star in the same way children's books have always talked about vocations like doctors, firefighters, and lawyers. So she tells the stories of how people become influencers through the imagined Instagram accounts of nursery rhyme characters, since they are usually the ones explaining the lessons to kids. And these imagined Instagram accounts of nursery rhyme characters are like Little Bo Peep and her GoFundMe for her lost sheep. Mary Had a Little Scam has an MLM. She probably sells leggings. And uh, at Little Miss Muffet, who got kicked off The Bachelor and is now forced to sell curds and whey protein. And by forced, I mean she never had a job in the first place, so why the hell not? So anyway, as it relates to Taylor Swift, why I'm here, uh, she, she's 89, I'm 87. Her songs have been a soundtrack to my life as we've been in the same life phase. I've always been a major fan of her musically. Then once I got more into business and marketing and understood how the world works, I became a huge fan professionally. I think she's a genius marketer. I think she's incredibly kind and giving to her fans. I think she's a generous person. And I think all things considered, 
We know a lot of artists that signed at 15 years old. Her contribution to the world, whether through monetary charitable acts, whether through joy brought through her music and through being somewhat of a role model to young women, though misstepping at times, which a good role model should because we all make mistakes. I think that her contribution largely nets positive. And that's what people forget sometimes in these moments where it feels easy to poke holes. And you'll hear me on many podcasts muse about, you know, conspiracies with her about her relationships for fun, because I think they're really interesting. And I think the her fans on the Internet are so perceptive and they pick up on things that I never would. You'll hear me critique a lot of her PR decisions. You'll hear me question what paparazzi walks are or aren't authentic and all of that stuff, because I believe that you can be a fan and you can be objective and that if you're a person with a platform, you need to express to people the importance of ne- never being a blind follower. It's impossible that you will fundamentally agree with everything a person does, and that's okay. The second we start to blindly agree with people and we don't need details, context, etc., is when we need to take a step back. So I say that because you might be expecting me to be a little bit more negative about this situation. But as it relates to this, I fully unequivocally stand with Taylor. And before you try to poke holes in my reasoning, I want to tell you way more in depth with way more background. And even though we'll never have the full truth, I really believe with what I know about her, what I've experienced myself in corporate situations And with what she's been trying to do with her platform since she's been freed of her last label, I really do, believe it or not, think that this was well-intentioned. And I really think that the celebrity responses are what diluted the message and made it more about the feud than about the message she was trying to get across. So if you wouldn't mind hearing me out, I am going to get into it. And it's totally fine to disagree. Just know that I'm a fan, but I'm also a human and a business owner and a person who owns a lot of intellectual property, and I feel this very deeply, and I also am the first person to question, eh, is this a publicity stunt? Is this, does this have ulterior motives? Because so often things do, but honestly, I think this is the, the, the battle cry of a woman who's extremely disappointed who's extremely disgusted by somebody seeking revenge because she didn't do what they wanted, and who wants her young fans to know how to be better equipped than she was to make the best business deals for themselves to bet on their potential instead of be told that these are just the way things are always done, which often results in people getting screwed over. And the other piece of this that I think is always important to point out is nobody is all bad, nobody is all good. I believe it when people say Scooter is a great father and husband and friend. I'm sure Scott Borchetta has his, you know, I don't know. I'm having trouble finding positive words about him right now. I'm way more, I have a lot more to say about Scott than Scooter because A, Scooter hasn't spoken for himself. And I want to go off of the words people said and chose themselves and not what I'm assuming. Um, But I really, you know, it's totally valid for two people to know a person and them to have two totally different experiences with them. And that doesn't mean they cancel each other out. It doesn't mean one's right and the other's wrong. You are the only person that know your own experience and you are the only person that can tell you how to feel about it. And I 
just want to clarify that, like, I don't know these people personally. I don't have any insider info. This is my impression from a lot of data I've collected in my brain about these people and how they work and who they work with over time. And I'm sure that every I really do believe most of the time everybody's doing the best that they can and that most people aren't malicious. But I do believe that in business deals that involve hundreds of millions of dollars and a lot of shady characters, that huge mistakes are made and huge lapses and integrity occur. And that is what I want to speak to is the business side of things. I do not know how these people are with their families. I I cannot tell you their character on a holistic level. All I can tell you is what I've heard out of their own mouths and what what I've read about their overall contribution to her career or to her reputation since they've been key players. So anyway, with that said, for today's uh, Be There in Five, good old fashioned Be There in Five deep dive. We're talking about something very big that happened over this weekend. And no, I am not talking about the toddlers and tiaras pageant curls vibe that Elizabeth Holmes showed up to her Theranos trial with. Uh, I mean, bless her heart. Did she go to dry bar? Though truly they do not train people how to curl hair. You leave the bottom out. The weight needs to be in the center. It, it actually did look like a set of hot rollers, which I'm not entirely opposed to if done right. But the key is you got to brush them out and you have to let them set a little bit before court. But honestly, all we've asked for this whole time is for her hair to be like a little less fried and a little less bleached and she did get low lights and she did curl it and I don't want to be a choosy beggar. You know what I mean? So that's not what I'm talking about. Today, what we are talking about is something that happened this past Sunday, June 30th, when Taylor Swift published a Tumblr post that addressed the purchase of her former label Big Machine by Ithaca Holdings, the parent company of Scooter Braun, major Hollywood manager, thus transferring all of the rights to her master recordings over to Scooter Braun, a man who historically has been associated with and managed people that were very instrumental in Taylor Swift's very public 2016 takedown. Now, I will explain this more specifically, but to to start, I think that this is it's important to acknowledge kind of why this is such a big deal. One, because she accused the two two major music executives of bullying her, Scooter Braun and her former CEO of her last label, Scott Borchetta. And now anybody loyal to Taylor Swift, anybody loyal to either of those executives are in explosively feuding across the Internet. And it involves so many people because these people represent other people that it's not just a classic case of Taylor Swift versus one person. It's like it's the sharks versus jets of the music industry. It's very interesting. And, you know, I think back on Taylor's controversies that we've all been there for uh, when, you know, a grown man stepped on stage in 2009 and she was interrupted because he thought her award was better suited elsewhere or 2010 to 2014, when in her words, she was used as an international lightning rod for slut shaming in 2016, when she was, called out by Kanye West and Kim Kardashian about a situation where she allegedly agreed that Kanye could use her name in his song, Famous, I Made That Bitch Famous. She said yes to, I swear me and Taylor still might have sex. 
uh, line. That's what was in the audio recording. What was not in the audio recording is in the approval of her saying him calling her that bitch was okay. That is the two distinguishing factors. It was largely done in response to her Grammy speech for 1989 winning album of the year as the second female artist to win album of the year. She told young women and girls that if people try to take credit for your work or your fame, um, you know, to look around you and know the people that supported you and love you are the ones who got you to where you are, etc. Paraphrasing and the use of the word fame well, use and enunciation, I'd argue, are supposedly a nod to Kanye West's 2016 song Famous, which he also put a mannequin of her naked body in the video, which I'll get to how she calls that revenge porn in this Tumblr post. And basically, Kanye and Kim tried to orchestrate, you know, this whole takedown of her, and she largely was kind of canceled in the modern terminology by everybody littering her feeds with snakes. She disappeared for like a year based on what we know from what she said and her lyrics and her poems. It was a very trying, difficult, humiliating and scary time where she was being absolutely torched in the pop culture world without feeling like she was able to have a voice. And for once, it seemed like her fans were outnumbered and I think that this one is just a little bit different. It feels different. It feels bigger. And there's so many layers to it. There's a lot here in terms of conversations of uh, public, uh, emotionally charged statements of using the word bullying, of, of character defamation, allegedly, of people inserting themselves left and right, the sexist undertones of women standing up for themselves, the, the power dynamics in an industry that's historically unfavorable to artists. There's so many business aspects to this that I don't even know how well I can explain, but they're worth considering in terms of the logistics of an acquisition of Taylor's father being a stakeholder of, of entertainment law as it relates to masters and publishing rights. And another thing that even I was reading about today are people, people's concerns with Scooter's parent company, Ithaca Holdings, being backed by a private equity firm named the Carlyle Group, which as of Fall 2018, I believe, was famously embroiled in controversy as I think it was in the show um, The Patriot Act with uh, Hassan Minaj. He explained that the Carlyle Group's 50 percent stake in the streetwear brand Supreme should uh, be raised as a problem and should be made more aware of in terms of hype beast culture and what companies were supporting. It is important to note that. If you're unfamiliar with private equity, it's worth taking a dive and really understanding the scope of some of these companies, because the Carlyle Group has invested in over 200 companies from AMC to McDonald's to, to Dunkin' Donuts. But far from these consumer brands, they also invest in oil drilling and coal mining and have a stake, a serious stake in the international military industrial complex uh, of which Minaj was focusing on in terms of making a point about the importance of being aware of who you're making rich when you buy a product. I've heard before people say every dollar you spend is a vote you're casting for the type of world you want to live in. And many times when you look at parent companies, look at private equity 
you'll realize that they have a hand in a variety of industries, many of which you may not agree with personally. And in this case, due to the Carlyle Group's 23% stake in the electronics firm Westco and their contract with a British defense company and their relationship to fighter jets that are known to drop bombs in Yemen. I mean, there's a lot there. It's and it's horrible. And it's it's it kind of twofold for me in in the case of explaining, you know, the implications of the Carlyle Group's involvement with something like that. It doesn't feel, you know, trivial enough to just gloss over. But if I went into it, it would add another 30 minutes to this discussion when really that has more to do with who they chose as the buyer for these rights that Taylor Swift knew very well were already going to be for sale when she walked away from the garbage opportunity she was offered to be in a hamster wheel contract that would trap her again. So I'd rather focus on her and what happened and about the actual sale instead of the buyer, if that makes sense. I think it's worth a conversation, a separate conversation on Patreon. I think it's worth digging into. And what I'm, what I hopefully will be able to do is have, um, my friend who is an IP lawyer who has background in entertainment law, I'm hoping that she'll at least come on a Patreon episode and answer questions for me about the implications of uh, master use license versus publishing rights in terms of who's getting our money. Because I do think, you know, while we can't control these multi-billion dollar companies, we can understand that when we stream, when we buy what we consume as it relates to Taylor's back catalog that Scooter is going to profit off of understanding more of what exactly is Taylor's cut and what is his is an important piece if the objective is to not support the firms that have a stake in the horrendous acts of violence. And yeah, so I just I don't want to I want to acknowledge it, but I don't want to dismiss it. I just want to say that it's worth a separate conversation. And I think that that's just focusing too much on the buyer and not the owner of the property, which is Taylor Swift. Today, I really want to get people caught up and I want to get people thinking. And I think that there's so many broader questions that people are asking that are important that I got via Instagram. And of course, I love that I'm a long term reader of and beneficiary of the Taylor community that loves to talk about Taylor Swift's relationships and they do some incredible investigative work. And I for this podcast, I don't want to disappoint you. I'm not going to focus on her romantic relationships and how those ties relate. There were so many questions about the the Kushner's relationship to the Carlisle group. And it's one of those things where, you know, when the way people have asked questions, like, do they own the Carlisle group? And it's like, no, they don't. Um, and it's weird when it's like somebody you don't want to defend, but you also aren't going to just spread misinformation to, you know, further your own opinion of somebody but th- there's a very specific real estate transaction for one element of their portfolio in 2008 where following a 1.8 billion dollar purchase by Jared Kushner in 2006 of 666 Fifth Avenue right before the real estate market and overall market tanked the Carlyle Group and Crown Acquisitions acquired controlling interest of the retail portion of 666 Fifth Avenue for 525 million kind of coming to the rescue when 
Jared and co could not pay their mortgage or pay for the building because they paid about 50 million and the rest was borrowed. That is a specific real estate transaction for part of Carlyle, Carlyle Group's portfolio, but I don't really think it makes sense to be tying that back to Carly right now, especially because she just got married twice. And I just think it's distracting from a more important discussion that for once I actually want to center on Taylor and not waste my breath talking about the conspiracies surrounding those men who get enough coverage as is. So that's something I'll probably address on Patreon or I'll try to. I I have an answer for all of you asking the questions, but I just don't know if this is the most the, the, the best use of this time to go way into that. But I wanted to address it because I really do enjoy reading theories from everybody. I really appreciate all the investigative work people do. I really appreciate when people are making sure that others are aware of the uh, economic, political, uh, social implications of people, companies, et cetera, were supporting and maybe unaware of the damage they're causing. I think all of those things are important to raise awareness about. But I don't have time to get into all of them today. So I just wanted to give you a heads up if that's what you're here for. And I should start by saying, as most of you already know, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a music executive. I'm not a subject matter expert. I'm when it comes to what does and doesn't cross the line with an internet culture, I don't even know exactly how the term bullying should best be used. I, I, I'm not perfect and I won't get all of this right. And it's literally impossible for me to be completely unbiased because I am a fan and I do have opinions about how this was handled, especially how a lot of people responded to her statement. But I'll try to explain it the best I can. Fair warning, I do get angrier the more the podcast progresses. And when it comes to the responses, I just, it's, with some of them, I truly cannot, I can't be objective because I think they're so problematic and so bizarre. And I'm shocked at how many people are backing them, but we'll get into that later. But anyway, I'll pepper in my thoughts where I think it's relevant or helpful or I guess just, you know, when I can't hold back my rage. And if I don't know something, I will tell you that I don't. And all I ask for from you as a listener is just to give me a little bit of grace as I I will likely say something wrong. I will likely miss something and you will likely disagree with me at at many points, but I am a very big believer in, in polite disagreement and productive disagreement. And I think it's just such an in, it's an interesting dynamic and multifaceted conversation that is worth diving into. And at the very least, I hope you are caught up. I hope you learn something and I hope you're given enough baseline information to be able to form your own opinion, as we all are absolutely entitled to. So I'm going to read her letter just because I've read it several times, but I think it's important to like, instead of summarize it, to hear her exact words. And I, when I read this letter, I, I audibly gasped. I was like, whoa, 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 what's happening? I talk about Scooter Braun a lot on this podcast. I think he's a fascinating character. I think his, uh, the people he represents often have similar narratives and storylines in their personal lives. At one point last year, he didn't have three of his biggest clients engaged all at the same time. And I was like, what's going on here? But anyway, more on him later. 
as it relates to Taylor's letter. It was a little bit confusing because the first thing you see is a screenshot of a Justin, an Instagram post of Justin Bieber. And in red, Scooter is circled. And then there's an arrow pointing to him. And it says, this is Scooter Braun bullying me on social media when I was at my lowest point. He's about to own all the music I've ever made. And when I saw this, I was like, oh, it's Justin or Justin Bieber. Is he having a falling out with Scooter and Taylor's like coming out in support of Justin Bieber, which would shock me because I know they historically don't get along. But then I realized, no, it's a screenshot of a Justin Bieber post in Taylor's commentary was in red saying Scooter's about to own all of her music she's ever made. And she's pointing out an instance of Scooter bullying me on bullying her on social media. So and specifically this post from Justin Bieber, that was him FaceTiming with Kanye and Scooter. The caption said Taylor Swift, what up? And it was very intended to troll her at the time when it was kind of the snake era. So in this letter, she says, for years, I asked, pleaded for a chance to own my own work. Instead, I was given an opportunity to sign back up to Big Machine Records and earn one album back at a time, one for every new one I turned in. I walked away because I knew once I signed that contract, Scott Borchetta would sell the label, thereby selling me and my future. I had to make the excruciating choice to leave behind my past. Music I wrote on my bedroom floor and videos I dreamed up and paid for from the money I earned playing in bars, then clubs, then arenas, then stadiums. Some fun facts about today's news. I learned about Scooter Braun's purchase of my master's as it was announced to the world. All I could think about was the incessant manipulative bullying I've received at his hands for years. Like when Kim Kardashian orchestrated an illegally recorded snippet of a phone call to be leaked, and then Scooter got his two clients together to bully me online about it. See photo. Of course, one of Scooter's clients is Justin Bieber. One of them at the time was Kanye West. Or when his client, Kanye West, organized a revenge porn music video which strips my body naked. Now Scooter has stripped me of my life's work that I wasn't given an opportunity to buy. Essentially, my musical legacy is about to lie in the hands of someone who tried to dismantle it. This is my worst case scenario. This is what happens when you sign a deal at 15 to someone for whom the term loyalty is clearly just a contractual concept. And when a man says music has value, he means its value is beholden to men who had no part in creating it. Goosebumps. When I left my masters in Scott's hands, I made peace with the fact that eventually he would sell them. Never in my worst nightmares did I imagine the buyer would be Scooter. Anytime Scott Borchetta has heard the word Scooter Braun escape my lips, it was when I was either crying or trying not to. He knew what he was doing. They both did. Controlling a woman who didn't want to be associated with them in perpetuity. That means forever. Thankfully, I am now signed to a label that believes I should own anything I create. Thankfully, I left my past in Scott's hands and not my future. And hopefully, young artists or kids with musical dreams will read this and learn about how to better protect themselves in a negotiation. You deserve to own the art you make. I will always be proud of my past work, but for a healthier option, Lover will be out August 23rd. Sad and grossed out with a broken heart emoji. Taylor. Oof, I feel all sorts of ways rereading that because I hadn't since Sunday. I feel I've, I, I had calmed down. I was, I, you know, speaking of you need to calm down. I had tried to calm down by the time I recorded this because on Sunday I was quite fired up, especially seeing how people responded to this. Now, there there's a lot here and I'm going to try to break it down by in terms of how it went down. But the best way to kind of summarize what she's feeling 
in that post, in the most simple way, is a tweet that I read. Somebody named at Maggie J. Clark on Twitter, who said, Imagine your parents having a yard sale and selling your journals from your teen years. Imagine the buyer being one of your biggest bullies from those days. And I thought, that's just like a very, I, I like that analogy in terms of the, the concept of anything you've written or made in a confessional, honest, vulnerable manner being revealed to, owned by, and profited off of by the people that incited those feelings of inadequacy through their horrible treatment of you. I'm going to kind of break down this statement piece by piece because I think it explores all of the different arenas in which there has been controversy about this this statement because a piece of it is the sale of Big Machine. A piece of it is the lack of loyalty of Scott Borchetta. A piece of it is the bullying done by Scooter. And a piece of it as an overarching theme of the ownership of your own artwork. In the beginning part, when she says, for years, I asked and pleaded for a chance to own my work. Instead, I was given an opportunity to sign back up to Big Machine Records and earn one album back at a time, one for every new one I turned in. So what's important is to understand the depth of involvement between Taylor Swift and Scott Borchetta and his label he just sold to Scooter Braun called Big Machine. He okay. so Scott Borchetta is a former DreamWorks employee. And before he left there, he approached Taylor and her family at the Bluebird Cafe in 2004, which is a very famous uh, kind of wellspring of talent that performs at open mic nights in Nashville. And at the time, according to Wikipedia, he had no infrastructure, no financing, and he made an offer to Taylor Swift and her parents where he would recruit her to his new label's roster after it was established. So she eventually recontacted Borchetta two weeks later, telling him that she's waiting for him to start this label. So after he formed it in 2005, after meeting her, Big Machine released Swift's first recording, Tim McGraw, her debut single on her debut album, Taylor Swift. This actually was originally a joint venture between Scott Borchetta and Toby Keith, but Toby Keith backed out of this affiliation in 2006. So Borchetta did say at one point apparently in 2012 that scott swift owns three percent of big machine he is not a majority stakeholder but a stakeholder nonetheless last i checked with billboard in an article last year they said it was four percent anyway i don't think i need to tell you what taylor swift did for this label <laughs> knowing that he didn't even have the infrastructure set up when they met and then she won him countless grammys produced some of the highest grossing world tours, some of the best-selling albums and singles and top charting singles of all time. She is a global phenomenon. She is a well-respected songwriter and artist, and she is one of the greatest pop stars of our time who was signed to an indie label. My impression was she always had more flexibility than other artists, like to write that Apple Music letter, like to withhold her music from Spotify until artists were properly compensated for streaming because she wasn't, her hands weren't tied at the mercy of a major record company that is notorious for clipping artists' wings when it comes to having any sort of creative or business freedom in how their catalog is handled. And what's interesting to me is I think my perception of her largely positive relationship with Big Machine was, A, knowing her father was a stakeholder, 
I thought perhaps that helps control some of the interests of the label, though it's a much smaller cut than I thought it was. I think it's also important to note that in addition to Taylor Swift's catalog prior to 2016, Big Machine also represents Reba McIntyre, Sugarland, so also Jennifer Nettles in her solo career, Thomas Rhett, Rascal Flatts, Reba McIntyre, Florida Georgia Line. There's other people involved with this $300 million valuation, but I think it's safe to say that Taylor's catalog is it c- comprises a, a hefty chunk of that $300 million. But also, her songs change and long live are kind of these love letters to her team, her own words. Change being what it's like being in a situation, wanting to succeed, but being held back, being on the smallest indie label in Nashville, smallest record label period in Nashville. And Long Live was about finally getting awarded and crowned and being acknowledged for the the hard work and breaking through the barriers that the very people who are there cheering for you now put up in the first place. And even like looking at these lyrics, so change being the first one and and then long live, which I don't I assume was written after she won. I think didn't she win four grant four maybe more Grammys for Fearless and long live, which I just I, I love. It's such a good song. When she's saying, I said, remember this feeling. I've passed the pictures around of all the years we stood on the side there on the sidelines wishing for right now. We are the kings and the queens. You traded your baseball cap for a crown when they gave us our trophies and we held them up for our town. And the cynics were outraged, screaming, this is absurd. Because for a moment, a band of thieves in ripped up jeans got to rule the world. And then goes on to say, long live all the mountains we moved. I had the time of my life fighting dragons with you. I, I, I don't know. I, I, have, I have like goosebumps reciting those in a slam poetry format because... I just really thought, and maybe, and that's the thing, these could be a snapshot of a moment in time when things were largely positive. And she still was very young at this point and very fairly early into her contract in terms of understanding what it really means when you sign on for a specific number of albums over a specific number of years and you have absolutely no rights to the masters per your contract. This brings up, you know, broader a broader concept of negotiating of when you're trying to make it of can you argue for and negotiate based on your potential or do you have to just sign your rights away because you want an in so bad in the industry it, it makes me think about Simon Cowell and the in Lisa Vanderbump in the kind of I made you complex of at what point is a person compensated for the work they're doing on their own merit and talent and can roll off being forever tied to the person that opened up the doors for them. Even I was in a situation last year when that I didn't even fully understand, even though I spent days reading through and trying to understand and mull over the contract you know, the the contract for my simple 32 page book to be owned and distributed by a publisher was incredibly complicated, incredibly nuanced. A lot of things I was able to change, a lot of things I wasn't. And I was given the response with, you know, it is what it is and this is how it works. 
And when you're new to the industry, you don't feel like you have the license to push back on a, a seasoned expert telling you you're wrong. You don't have the ability to argue your points well. And you, of course, cannot guarantee your career's trajectory, even if you are very likely to be set up for success. So when people go into these deals, notoriously, like throughout time, the music industry is very unfavorable to artists. There's been a few more recent public cases, but this is nothing new. Uh, For example, JoJo was the youngest girl to, to top the charts, the pop charts at age 13, and her label stuck her in, in a perpetual limbo by refusing to let her leave the label, but also refusing to let her release music. Leanne Rimes signed a 20-year contract with her label when she was 12 years old and got out of, I think, in 2013 and then was able to sign a new label. And she, I think, admitted to like putting out these underwhelming albums just because she had to. But that she had sued her label and members of her team several times in prior years for stealing money from her. And the whole thing was a mess. And she was her career was stilted. Look at Kesha. I mean, for the love of God, look at Kesha, who is has a huge following, is top charting, had an incredible career. And upon going to court and trying to get out of her contract early, was told no, that she had to yield to her contract, despite that very contract keeping her tied to her abuser, Dr. Luke, who Kesha says sexually, physically, verbally, and emotionally abused her since the beginning of their professional relationship. This man, Dr. Luke, still makes money off of her music. There's been several public cases in the past, too, whether it's Prince and him going as far to change his name to an unpronounceable glyph, hoping that his record contract would no longer be enforceable if he was no longer Prince. I'm sure you've heard, uh, you know, the artist formerly known as Prince. That's the, the entire reason that happened is because he felt he was a slave to his record contract, famously writing slave on his face and being very outspoken about how he felt it was unconscionable for a a label to still own an artist masters after the label recouped their expenses. One thing that I think is important to note here is think about how much power Taylor has. Think about how much money she has. She is in the most favorable position to get what she wants in a business deal. And if she couldn't figure out a way to get her masters, what, how would any artist ever do that? And beyond that, If she is still, up until reputation, was still completely restricted within the terms of a garbage contract she signed when she was 15, who had very involved parents, who had business experience, who were wealthy, think about what's happening to these other young artists, other women, other people whose parents may be less involved or more about the money or... In the event you're you, the people you're working with don't really have business experience or I don't know. I just think of all the people that want so desperately to make it signing these prison sentences. And it is incredibly alarming and sad to think about how it's so widely accepted as it is the way it is for this largely male dominated industry to just completely thrive on power moves and on control of the hard work and art 
that isn't actually theirs. And that's not to say that labels aren't an, a very integral part of the ecosystem as it relates to music creation, production, distribution, merchandising, whatever. Taylor and Scott built Big Machine together and he did do a lot of work over the years and they did seem to have a positive relationship at one point. But the as it relates to what happened on Sunday, I think Taylor Swift shed light to the general public about the true manipulation and control and politics of this industry that a lot of people probably were unaware of. And even though we've heard of cases of this in the past and it's not uncommon, I just think in today's climate, even when I sat down and really thought about it, I was like, wow, that is, that makes absolutely no sense. And I think part of the the public outcry and, and the mess of it all is that there's a lot of people talking about how artists should have the right to own their own work. And yes, that is a thing. But as it stands now, it's it's very uncommon, almost impossible. And Taylor Swift is kind of a, a, a pioneer in terms of getting herself into a record deal that grants her the ownership of her masters. And I struggle because there's no way to infuriate me more than to say things like it is what it is or that's just the way this industry does it. That's the way it's always been done because that is the only way to ensure we live in a world that will never improve. On a broader scale, what if some somebody said that about women being allowed to vote, about gay marriage? Think about all of the things that were once illegal for no other reason that, than that's just the way it's always been. And in terms of the music industry, when Taylor Swift astutely pointed out the archaic compensation structure of a brand new streaming platform and demanded that artists and their teams get paid stronger royalties from streaming platforms, she completely changed the industry and improved the payment structure for all of the artists out there who weren't being fairly compensated for their work. And beyond the artists, Taylor's point was, there's more than just us. There's the producers, the mixers, the songwriters. There's a lot of people who live off of and who deserve the rights to those royalties and that were getting stilted with the prior way that streaming sites like Spotify were paying. That is a separate thing from this, though. The issue here is Taylor Swift wanting, having always wanted the rights to her masters. And when we say masters, we mean master recordings. When you own the master recording of a song, you own the first recording of it, the one that all the copies are made from. So let's say the song Love Story. The master recording would be the original one on the album Fearless that she recorded in 2009. And all of the copies of that exact recording that exist in the world on YouTube, on iTunes, on physical CDs, on Spotify, those are all copies of the record. And now that master recording and all of the other ones from Taylor Swift's debut album to Reputation. So debut album, Fearless, Speak Now. Red, 1989, Reputation, all of those are owned by Scooter Braun. Anyone who wants to make a copy of the recording of any of these recordings must ask for permission from the owner of the master, which means if you want to license Love Story or any of these other songs for commercial, for TV, for movies, for whatever, 
They need to get Scooter Braun's permission, and then he will be paid the entirety of the fee. It's important to note that publishing rights are different from a, a master use license and having rights to the masters. Publishers' rights have to do with the, the comp- composition of the song, the lyrics, how it's produced, all of the, what makes up the song itself, but not the physical recording, if that makes sense. So Taylor Swift will earn royalties off of her songs because she has publishing rights to them, but will not earn royalties off of the master recording being licensed and used in other media properties. Here's, here's the catch. Re- record companies do traditionally own artist masters. That is the rule and not the exception. Taylor Swift, much like how artists are compensated for streaming, has pushed back a lot against this. And when she signed with Universal in the fall, after being a free agent because we all knew her recording contract with Big Machine was over after Reputation, in her search for a new label, the main criteria had to do with her being able to own her masters going forward so she would have sole say over how and where her music is used. That's a big thing, too, is the, the, the master use license of it all is Scooter Braun is not only being paid, he is deciding how and where her music can be used without her consent. And fortunately, UMG, Universal Music Group, agreed to let her keep have the rights to her masters going forward. But the bad news is any for her old material, all of the music she made prior to 2018 was still owned by and lives with Big Machine. So back to the two people that she's calling out in this post. What she's doing is arguing that one, Scott Borchetta, Borchetta, I don't know, bothers me because I think in Italy it would be Borchetta, but we'll just say Borchetta. Um, She's arguing that Borchetta betrayed her, stabbed her in the back. They have this long history and what she thought would be loyalty, given that they built her career together, long live. But he went behind her back and sold it to a person, Scooter Braun, that she is accusing of bullying her. So again, Taylor Swift admits in this statement she knew she had to walk away from her masters because the only offer she was given was for each album she produces for Big Machine going forward she will get back one of her old ones. This is an insulting business deal designed to keep her chained to this record company well into her 40s and to manipulate her by dangling the thing she wants the most and telling her her only option is to stay with this label that she is unhappy with or wants to move on from or that has been historically restrictive. And all in the name of... Scott's financial gain, really, because she is worth so much. So whether this value was going to be sold in terms of her being currently signed as an artist or them having access to her masters following her departure, she is a big reason of why Scott stood to gain so much money. And what I think happened is that I remember reading an article in Billboard back in the fall when she was a free agent and or no, it was right after she signed. And the speculation was that Universal Music Group would likely buy Big Machine. People knew that it was looming that it would likely be for sale and assumed that one of the contingencies in Taylor Swift's contract was that she would somehow regain access to her master recordings 
through signing with UMG Universal Music Group, her new label. I think that she probably thought that that was going to happen and they were maybe a top contender. I don't know all the logistics of an acquisition and how a buyer is ultimately chosen and how a deal is finalized and the timing of all of that. But I think that she knew she knew she wouldn't have her masters. She knew it was going to be sold. She did not know it was going to be to Scooter Braun. And as she says in this statement, Scooter Braun both manages and participated in a series of acts that she labels as bullying that were directed toward her at different points in time, specifically pointing out Justin Bieber FaceTiming with Kanye and Scooter right after, you know, the snake gate 2016 Taylor's lowest point that reputation was based off of. I gather this was a very dark time in her life. And she suggested that this is why she started drinking, which as I've said before, I'm borderline relieved by because the one thing that I couldn't really relate to Taylor Swift about besides house cats is that she never seemed to drink much. But now we all know she she gets gets through the day with a little Sauv Blanc, which I can relate to. I hope to drink with her sometime, and I do hope to feature on my wine label Sauvignon Blanc Space. JK would never do that, but it is an idea for her to merge out into the wine biz. Okay, so does that make sense? What master recordings are, what she's accusing Scott and Scooter of in this statement... And that as far as we know, which will later come into play when Scott Borchetta responds, there was never an offer to Taylor Swift to buy her masters outright for X amount of money. She was only offered that for every album she earns back, if she re-signed with Big Machine, she'd have to put up her upcoming albums as collateral. So if she put out Lover, then she would get back Taylor Swift. If she put out... TS8, then she would get back Fearless, and so on and so forth. I cannot imagine putting in the work and already have created all of that and to have this legacy and to not have ownership of it. But not only that, to be told the only way I could have ownership of the stuff that's already mine that I already did is to stay on and make this dude more money by working even harder just to get back what's already mine. it's I know it's common it enrages me and it enrages a lot of people on the internet and that's what a lot of the dialogue is about I could go on and on about that obviously we all understand why that's bizarre in principle and a lot of industries don't operate this way but unfortunately the music industry is is so fucked up on so many levels okay so we understand that now on to the piece about the bullying There's two accusations in this letter. One is of backstabbing, betrayal, manipulation, etc. on behalf of Scott Borchetta and then the bullying on behalf of Scooter Braun. She is mad that she was betrayed by one to sell to the other who allegedly bullied her in the past. This is where it gets tricky and this is where people have differing opinions. To me... (laughs) When I was reading it, the betrayal piece about Scott stood out way more to me than the bullying piece about Scooter. But in using that word, you are inevitably are going to spark a discussion, a likely unproductive discussion about what the definition of bullying truly is. And I would be shocked, 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 shocked if her attorney, her 
publicist tree. If everybody involved didn't read this before she posted it, because she knows very well that there is a conventional wisdom, unfortunately, that she's made a career out of playing the victim. What's hard is people love to talk about playing the victim, but like what happens when you are a victim? Like she was like taken down and completely bullied on social media with the snake thing with Kim Kardashian. She was somebody painted rest in peace, Taylor Swift on a bridge in Australia. Like that did happen. And just because she was on a recording saying that Kanye could say, I feel like me and Taylor might still have sex. Doesn't mean that she said that he could say I made that bitch famous. So nobody even took the time to acknowledge that there was never a recording of him giving her the entire line. And she, that, that's where I, I never thought she was entirely in the wrong. Was all of it handled perfectly? No. But who is perfect? I just don't think that the punishment was proportionate to the crime at that time. But anyway, she knows people are going to kind of default to this. Taylor Swift always plays the victim thing. And to say the word bullying is it's it's bold and you have to be careful. Uh, you know, as I learned from Kelly Ben Simone and the Real Housewives of New York Scary Island episode when she taught me to Google the meaning of systematic bullying, I do know that it's not a good look when used incorrectly. So there's two of these players here being accused of different things, and critics will say that this the the use of the term bullying, given it's a, such a sensitive topic, is a big reason of why they're discrediting her statement and saying things like it was an overreaction, temper tantrum, too emotional, or um, as we'll get to Justin Bieber's post saying it was a ploy for sympathy because apparently if a, if a woman speaks truthfully about a negative experience, it's, it's merely just a cry for sympathy. And she's accused of, you know, seeking attention Whereas the the man that's accused of bullying within the statement you're telling me is attention seeking, he's the one being bullied that you're siding with. Because that makes a ton of sense. And Haley Baldwin commented on his post, what a gentleman. Haley Baldwin, I hate to inform you, I think your definition of gentleman might be skewed, given that the de- gentlemanly behavior of, of your bloodline of the, the Baldwins, the, the reputation isn't exactly sterling seeing as your uncle Alec does indeed think that the way to handle minor conflict is to punch people in the face in parking lots and to call his young daughter and leave her a voicemail calling her a pig. So maybe, I, I don't know, I don't know. Let's, we'll ask Emily Post. I'm not sure if that a gentleman makes. So this is where a lot of the criticism is coming in. And you decide for yourself what you think, but the, the bullying behavior she's alluding to for Scooter and I don't I don't think I said this earlier. It's there's a lot here that it, it's hard to separate what I know versus what I'm introducing people to. But Scooter Braun, it, it, he owns Scooter Braun Projects. It's a talent management company that is really the nexus of it was bringing Justin Bieber from Canada and starting his career. But according to their website, their past and present work includes Ariana Grande, Asher Roth, Black Eyed Peas. Dan and Shay, David Guetta, Hilary Duff, Justin Bieber, Kanye West, Carly Claus. As I've told you guys many times, I think it's so interesting. And going further, her now now BFF, Todrick Hall, man, formerly managed by Scooter Braun. I thought he still was till a series of explosive tweets that I will get into. So that's who Scooter Braun manages and makes his money off of. I'm sure he has other ancillary projects going on. It is owned by Ithaca Holdings. And... 
the problem is she maintains that she was actively bullied by Scooter. And while Scooter was Kanye West's manager at the time of, you know, the Taylor Swift is canceled party. The problem is it's unclear to a lot of people if Scooter Braun was actually actively involved with the what she called revenge porn music video, which strips her body naked in Kanye West's famous video and or the videos Kim Kardashian released. You know, somebody's manager, I would imagine, is pretty instrumental in a music video. And I have a feeling that, you know, he very much was of aware, was aware of and approved all of those naked bodies depicted in the famous video. Not only was Taylor Swift on there, but so was Rihanna lying next to her abuser and Bill Cosby. Um, I mean, um, the whole thing was problematic on so many levels. And yes, he was under the watchful eye and management of Scooter Braun at the time. I don't know what Scooter had to do with the Kim Kardashian videos. But the fact that we have a screenshot of Justin Bieber FaceTiming with Scooter and Kanye right when all of this went down, right after Kim posted that illegal recording, I think it's safe to assume that he was right there when it happened, actively approving and involving himself with this very damaging and hurtful narrative that Taylor Swift deems as bullying. I think that a lot of the criticism lies in people thinking it should have been about Scott and less about Scooter and that it wasn't fair of her to take down his character for simply buying of something that was for sale and that she should have focused more on the betrayal. And I don't know. The thing is, your experience is your experience. And nothing drives me crazier than when somebody uses their positive impression of a person to invalidate somebody else's negative experience. I mean, extreme example, that's not totally apples to apples. I'm sure, you know, let's say Ted Bundy was a great tipper. He was also a mass murderer. But if a server was like, well, I had a great experience, therefore, he is a great guy. The transitive property does not apply. So I I believe her, um, similar to how I'd believe a sexual assault victim. I don't think that anybody, re- I, I, I guess I'm projecting but uh, what I would do, but like, I just would never use that word unless I legitimately felt that way. And I don't think anybody, I don't know. I, I just, I don't really understand the logic of somebody just really wanting to be a victim. I really think that she was using this, her platform to express her frustration, her disgust and her utter disappointment at her having built a career with a man who sold her life's work to the person who tried to dismantle her career through a series of acts of what she says is bullying because by definition is to, 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 to seek harm, to intimidate or to coerce somebody who is perceived as vulnerable in a particular situation. And given it's hot, the nature of this hot button issue, I think I, I wonder if she just hadn't used that word, if we'd even be in the same place, you know? And One perspective I thought was interesting. There is a woman named Jill Angle Price, and I saw this in a Facebook group. Shout out to Steenie Swifties that um, she's a lawyer and she did a very good job of explaining a few different points. But one thing she said was critics say critics of TS say she should not have used the term bullying. Bullying is a sensitive topic. 
The legal term for it is hostile work environment, and the legal standard for it is much like the standard for sexual harassment. It's the perception of the victim that matters. So if T.S. believes she was bullied by Scooter, then it's not for any of us to judge. The same legal standard correlates for a victim of sexual harassment. And then she goes on to say, Others say she should not have brought up the feuds with Kanye, etc. I believe her point in that was to show Scooter's bad character. It was not to rehash the feuds themselves. She was pointing out what type of person she believes Scooter is, much like a lawyer would do if on the witness stand of a trial. So she says she believes that Taylor's statement was reviewed by her people and attorneys because it looks similar to what she calls establishing character via prior bad acts. It's a method as old as time, and she wouldn't be surprised if this legal advice, if this was legal advice she was given. And lastly, she mentions, as she's seen several times in the corporate environment, a, a powerful, wealthy boss, Scott, who didn't get his way, she didn't sign back on for that god-awful deal, one-for-one album, Earn Back. He plotted his revenge and started by calling up the person he knew she disliked the most, which was Scooter. Is it illegal? No. Does it suck? Absolutely. Do we wish stuff like this didn't happen? Of course. Is she choosing to use her platform now that she has more freedom to have more transparency about the things she's been dealing with that she's been silenced about? Probably. And I'm here for it. I think it's really interesting and helpful that we all know what goes on behind the scenes. We can all understand why that stings. We are all allowed to be disappointed when somebody fucks you over. End of story. She is allowed to be disappointed that her former business partner did this. She is allowed to have experienced whatever emotion she associates with the people that Scooter managed and how they treated her in 2016. And she's allowed to infer whatever she wants from him being in that picture with Justin Bieber and Kanye West. It drives me absolutely crazy when people, in large numbers especially, that don't even know a person are telling them how something should have made them feel. I can understand the reaction to her choosing to do this publicly. Does that make sense? It's, I, I, I completely believe what, that that's her, the, her perception of what happened. And I don't think it's being exaggerated or is agendaed in any way other than to explain her side of the story that she hasn't been able to ever explain to us and to also reveal her deep hurt at the person who now owns the rights and will dictate the use of her diaries. And I, if the language was harsh and if somebody's character was kind of put on the line, then, I mean, I don't know. So be it. It's, it's hard because we need more proof of Scooter's involvement, but he is in that photo. And I just, you know, it, it, I would be furious. I would be furious. And I just think that a lot of people had to review that statement. And I also think that there's no way she doesn't know a ton about Scooter that she's not allowed to say. She had to use the two examples that were public-facing that we can understand this link. But she is best friends with Todrick, who went on a multi-tweet tirade and got himself into a load of hot water about his experience with Scooter. She is formerly best friends, maybe still, but I don't think they associate anymore, especially as Scooter was at her wedding. With She's formerly best friends with Carly Kloss, who's managed by Scooter, well, at least since 2016. And I just think that she knows so much that we'll never know being in the industry. 
and especially given Todrick's account, that this is probably the tip of the iceberg. And my instinct is to not double down on protecting Scooter, a PR mastermind, a person that at 30 took a 12-year-old from Canada to the United States to, like, groom to become a pop star. I, I, I just, I, it's like, Anybody who knows somebody personally is going to be like, he's a great man. He's a great father. Da, da, da. But like, there are a lot of people that do a lot of shady business <laughs> that a lot of even people around them might not even know the extent of. And I know that Scooter has spoken about trying to help Justin Bieber through his drug problems and his wild phase. And Demi Lovato claims that he helped her at her worst time. And I'm sure people have had positive experiences. But it doesn't mean that Taylor's not allowed to have her negative one. It doesn't mean she's not allowed to have her opinions. And it doesn't mean she's not allowed to speak up for herself and stand up for herself and make all of her devoted fans aware that the man who is now controlling her music is a person that she personally has had a horrible experience with. I know I'm a broken record, but I, that's my perspective on the statement for the most part. And she it's not about necessarily getting her masters back because she says i knew once i signed the contract scott borchetta would sell the label thereby selling me in my future and she didn't want her future to be in the hands of an unknown party she knew it was going to be sold can you imagine if she had signed that and now it was you know uh, uh, in the hands of somebody that she's fundamentally uncomfortable with that has a tough history with and in, in the statement she suggests that borchetta knew she didn't trust scooter given how many times he saw her cry or try not to be crying about something that involved him. And she says he knew what he was doing. They both did controlling a woman who didn't want to be associated with them in perpetuity. That means forever. And that this is where, this is where my rage comes in. And real quick, before I delve into my rage, I just want to shout out a listener, Caroline Fox of CJ Fox law she is an intellectual property lawyer she specializes in trademarks and copyrights and when we first got connected several months ago and she advertised on a past podcast episode i knew i loved her before i met her savage garden style because she signed off her email with in the words of taylor swift in her vogue 73 questions interview get a good lawyer and i was like Wow, that's awesomely specific, and I know exactly what you're talking about. And honestly, that 73 questions interview should have been the foreshadowing we all needed to see what was going on behind the scenes. And given that she's a listener, a previous supporter of the podcast, a Taylor Swift fan, I have no choice but to once again shout out Caroline Fox, CJ Fox Law, cjfoxlaw.com, at cjfoxlaw on Instagram. I'm saying it over and over because I want you to remember it because it's so, so relevant to our current conversation. And so many of you are business owners with IP and you might not even realize what you need to be protecting. And I hope this makes you realize how vulnerable we all are to having our assets potentially copied, overtaken or unjustly used for the profit of somebody else. And it's important anytime you are, you know, pursuing a creative venture to at least know what your rights are as it relates to your work and what you can protect and what is and it is and is not worth pursuing as it relates to a trademark or copyright. But the best part is that she focuses on trademarks, copyrights, specifically for creative focused brand centric small businesses 
and specifically works a lot with female-run businesses. And when I was talking to her, she said that she feels like female founders often get talked over and ignored by larger firm structures. And as you know, per this podcast, that's how I felt many, many times. I didn't know if it was just me. And I just never felt like I could find an approachable attorney that would help solve my problems and that I could that had any level of approachability from a pricing standpoint. And Caroline herself chose to leave a big firm downtown to to turn down job offers for bigger roles to kind of endure the emotional roller coaster of her own business and to be in the same situation her clients are in. And when I tell you she really gets it, she really gets it. And I just want everybody to have a resource for IP, but but specifically her practice focuses on trademarks. So think brand names, logos, copyrights, all of the creative assets that kind of fall within your business. And the thing you have to remember is it's not just protecting what you already have after the fact, it's ensuring that there's a trademark clearance on the business name and anything you're doing ahead of time, because so often people will build something not realizing they can't even be using some of the assets they think that they uniquely made up. And it's so important to just get a lawyer involved early. I just want you to consult Caroline if you're starting a business, if you want to clear trademarks, register trademarks, if you just want to know a little bit more about how it all works or to protect your intellectual property, go to cjfoxlaw.com. Follow her on Instagram at cjfoxlaw. And I just respect her so much. And she's been so helpful to me. And given the subject matter, I just wanted to make sure you guys were well-reminded of a resource you guys have and a fellow BTI5 listener and a person on your side that you can look to should you need any counsel in the area of intellectual property. I know it sounds like I'm probably blowing smoke and I know if you're new here, you're like, yeah, 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 we get it, move on. But I can't emphasize enough that having been in this situation of being kind of a quick and accidental creative entrepreneur that was largely taken advantage of Uh, lost a lot of money as it relates to work that was mine. I just want you guys in creative businesses or who are starting out something or who are trying to provide for your families to be careful and to lock the door before you get robbed, if you will. And it's just a good idea to have somebody to reach out to who isn't going to gouge you. She has flat fees for smaller projects, for small businesses. She's figured out the right way that she can keep the lights on and the heat on without completely robbing you of the very precious money you have to put into your business. And that's why I just love Caroline so much. So cjfoxlaw.com. Thank you for listening. And now back to my podcast, but more specifically back to my rage. In the event that Scott deliberately pursued Scooter to spite Taylor, and granted, I know this is all allegedly, this is what I insinuate from her post, her Tumblr likes, and my analysis of the situation. I cannot speak definitively to anybody's character, But what I think happened, allegedly, and what I can't wrap my head around, is that if Scott deliberately gave her this terrible, insulting hamster wheel of a deal, and for her to rightfully, astutely, and respectfully decline, when she changed labels, this was all presented to us as being on good terms. The fact that she gave a pretty gendered description of what happened just lends itself to historical male egos and power dynamics and politics of corporations where when men, women don't comply with the set of rules or the way they want things, the men feel emasculated and they seek revenge. 
It's absolutely insane. It's disgusting. It is something that I am so happy she is shedding light on. And there's going to be a million people to say, you can't blame this on gender and you can't use the word bullying and you can't do X, Y, or Z. You're harming the cause more than you're helping it. But the bottom line is, a male set out to screw over a woman with terrible terms of a deal that she declined because she was smart enough to call his bluff. He gets pissed, butt hurt, ego bruised, and like a lot of problematic men do, they seek revenge. Because when a woman is independent and doesn't comply with the rules or whatever that are set out for them, he decided instead of to respect her, to move on, to value the relationship they had for the time that they did, because he was rejected, he punished her. And that is what I cannot handle. That is why I stand with Taylor. That is why I stand with Kesha, with JoJo. I stand with people who are at the mercy of men trying to manipulate them and trap them into bad business deals where they only them stand to profit and upon any any resistance, any pushback whatsoever punishes them further so they can stay under their thumb, so they can be controlled, and so they cannot have a voice. And that, my friends, is bullshit. And that needs to be called out in whatever format it needs to be. And I just am so, like, I am blown away by all of the people that are just want to side with these men so badly and aren't seeing that what she's telling us is a very, very big issue we've been dealing with in so many capacities over the past few years, especially, and that we've been able to shed more light on. And it disappoints me that so many people are still programmed. Their default setting is to agree with the person that is the master manipulator. And you can say that's the way it's always done and that these terrible music deals are not necessarily his choice, but they're the industry standard and fine. But that doesn't mean she can't speak up about it. And that doesn't mean she can't point out a very deliberate backstabbing and betrayal and form of punishment for not re-signing with his label. And she has every right to call out that her hands were tied and she was only given one specific option. And they're going to try to say she had every rights to get her master's. But to our knowledge, we have, she was never, ever given the opportunity to buy for a set amount. This brings me to Scott Borchetta's post a few hours after Taylor's post, which was called So It's Time for Some Truth, where he accuses Taylor of misconstruing the facts of the situation at hand. So he begins his post by talking about Something that he thinks people don't know is that Taylor's dad, Scott Swift, another Scott, is a shareholder in Big Machine. He only has about a 4% stake, as I mentioned earlier. And Scott says that all shareholders were alerted of the sale on Tuesday, June 25th. And that the details were finalized in a shareholder's vote on Friday, June 28th. He also said that he contacted Swift via text message on the following Saturday to personally let her know. So these details suggest that by the 28th, Swift may have known through her dad, but this would make 
that the fact that she said she found out with the rest of the world on Sunday, a lie. And if there's any truth to her having known earlier, then she would have foreshadowed this, you know, this thing blowing up and kind of had a chance to strategize and plan for it. She posted a photo on Friday that said Friday calmness and people were like, oh, was this the calm before the storm? Did she have any idea? So Scott says, I suppose it's possible that Swift's attorney did not tell her. Well, okay, I'll just read what he said. I guess it might somehow be possible that her dad, Scott, 13 management lawyer, Jay Shoudies, who represented Scott Swift on the calls, or 13 management executives and big machine LLC shareholder Frank Bell, who was also on the shareholder calls, didn't say anything to Taylor over the prior five days. I guess it's possible that she might not have seen my text, but I truly doubt that she woke up to the news when everyone else did. Of all things to refute in that, in her... In her statement, the the timing, I don't know why he is starting with that, but okay, whatever. He also says that 100% of all Taylor Swift assets were to be transferred to her immediately upon signing of the new agreement. We were working together on a new type of deal for our new streaming world that was not necessarily tied to albums, but more of a length of time. Taylor had every chance in the world not to just own her master recordings, but every video, photograph, everything associated to her career. She chose to leave. So he's not refuting that it's tied to albums. He says not necessarily tied to albums, but more a length of time. He's calling it a new type of deal. Every It just sounds like a bunch of mumbo jumbo that's basically overcomplicating the statement that she was never offered the opportunity to just buy her masters outright. It was structured in this new type of deal about a length of time that she had to be tied to him. And this is why he's pissed. He talks about how, okay, this is where, this is where I just am like, my, my rage returns. It's, it's returning, you know, every 10 minutes or so. He brings up that Scooter Braun was positive about her. And he decides to bring up the fact that Scooter Braun invited Taylor Swift to perform at Ma- the Manchester concert and the Parkland shooting march. And she declined to do both. This is so frustrating on so many levels. One, it's disgusting to use those two tragedies to get a point across out of context because that does that that that, that is correlation and not causation. It's she wouldn't decline those two events because she didn't support the victims of two of the worst school shootings or one is a stadium shooting, one is a school shooting. She wouldn't it's, it's, to insinuate that she doesn't care about the victims, that she wasn't trying to help with charity, to, to use those two tragic events as a means to get a point across is so it's so vile. It's it's diabolical. It's just, it's it's unconscionable. And I'm a person who is on campus during a school shooting at Virginia Tech. And to see somebody try and use other people's misfortune to turn people against a woman who is just trying to prove a point that she wanted a better business deal and that you went behind her back when she said no out of seeking your own power and control over her. It's it's like he had no other argument. He had no other ammunition. So he chose to, I mean, you get, I mean, you get the picture. I just, I'm like, I, I, I truly cannot believe that. And to say that out of context is so royally 
messed up. I'm trying not to curse, but I, I just, I can't. So the, the, the things he's refuting are the timing in which she found out that Scott Swift was aware and that Scooter and him have always been friendly and he had no knowledge of Taylor Swift having any negative feelings toward him because she had said she had cried to Scott about Scooter. So Tree Payne, Taylor's publicist, releases a statement that says, wait, I should also clarify, Scott did not, he says like at X p.m. on this date, I texted Taylor this and she texted me this. And he says in timestamps all of these texts, but he doesn't include screenshots. And his website is is ancient, like .com, boom era, GeoCities, Angel Fires, Ask Jeeves, Alta Vista, hideous grossness it's and even though i write on a black background with white writing on instagram i would not do that on my website and he just i don't know if he doesn't know about screenshots i don't know if he doesn't have them but he's creating a situation that's very like your word against hers it's not really that effective and instead of refuting a lot of her sentiments he's trying to refute like some of the minor facts and he also did a horrible job of refuting what she said about the contract by saying, oh, it's a it's a new type of deal and it has more to do with length of time. So, yeah, exactly. It's a trap. <sighs> anyway, so Tree Payne releases a statement. Taylor's publicist, red hair, so gorgeous, so powerful and just overall an, an, an intersection I would not cross. She says regarding the claim Scott Swift knew about the sale, Scott Swift is not on the board of directors and has never been. On June 25th, there was a shareholder phone call that Scott Swift did not participate in due to a very strict NDA that bound all shareholders and prohibited any discussion at all without risk of severe penalty. Her dad did not join that call because he did not want to be required to withhold any information from his own daughter. Taylor found out from the news articles when she woke up before seeing any text from Scott Borchetta, and he did not call her in advance. So it's like, what is Scott talking about then? And why did he say that? But it makes total sense. A, Scott Swift seems like a stand-up guy. He passes out guitar picks at shows, and I think that many middle-aged, semi-blonde men with polo shirts, khakis, and glasses that were at Taylor Swift concerts with their young daughters probably thought I was creeping on them because I follow middle-aged men around Taylor Swift concerts and, and watch them like a hawk in the event it is Scott Swift, and he can give me a guitar pick or invite me into the rep room. <sighs> so far, ineffective, but did get asked for my number a few times. Um, but anyway, I, I think he's a stand-up guy and he's always had his daughter's best interest in mind. And I really think Scott and Andrea deserve all of the praise in the world for maintaining the normalcy of Taylor's life surroundings and, you know, with the, the Britney conservatorship of it all and the disaster of how so many parents mishandle funds. It, it, it's to... It's be in showbiz and maintain your integrity is the exception and not the rule, it seems, with a lot of families. And I asked my dad if he was a shareholder of something that was able to decide my fate, if he would be okay with the fact that there was an ironclad NDA that disabled him from sharing the information about news that affected me with me, you know, because it's business and it's not personal, theoretically, or whatever. And he said, absolutely not. I would never be on that call. I would not sign that NDA. I would not be in that situation. Daughter first, business second. And I agree. So we're kind of like, OK, Scott, like now you've just pissed us all off. You seem like 
unreliable. It's too defensive. You sound like a jackass in your post. And by using such smarmy details in comparison, as if your as if your hair didn't already tell me enough about your character, this post was the nail in the coffin. I am not here for Scott. I am not a fan. I think that this whole thing made him look worse, though I know a lot of people would disagree with me. Okay, now we're going to get into people's reactions of the post because the two the, the people's opinions that really matter here are Taylor's uh, Scott's scooters and Scott Swift's, I guess, technically, but Tree already refuted that claim. So first, we have Justin Bieber, who, like I said, he posted a, f- a photo of them when they were young and said that he would like to apologize for posting the hurtful Instagram post. At the time, he thought it was funny, but looking back, it's distasteful. He's saying that Scooter had nothing to do with it, and it wasn't even part of the conversation. In actuality, he was the person who told me not to joke about it. Scooter has had your back since the days you graciously let me open up for you, blah, blah, blah. So then he starts to... It's like, it starts out nice, but then he's like, so for you to take it to social media when people and get people to hate on Scooter isn't fair. What were you trying to accomplish by posting that blog? Seems to me like it was to get sympathy. You also knew that in posting, your fans would go out and bully Scooter. I can't even read this. It's so illegible. It's so poorly written. And it's 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 like, oh, my God. It's like, do you have autocorrect turned off? I don't even know how somebody would be able to write a post this bad with modern technology. Um. Anyway, one thing I know is both Scooter and I love you. The fact... I feel like the only way to resolve conflict is through communication. So banter back and forth online, I don't believe solves anything. I'm sure Scooter and I would love to talk to you and resolve any conflict, pain, or feelings that need to be addressed. Neither Scooter or I have anything negative to say about you. We truly want the best for you. I usually don't rebuttal things like this. Oh my god. But when you try and deface someone I love's character, that's crossing a line. Don't you? And I just love when people are like, I love you so much, but you're pathetic and you are seeking attention. But like, we love you and we'd love to solve this. But I think the way you went about it's disgusting. It's like, <laughs> okay, okay, Justin, this is this is so stupid. Haley Baldwin comments, gentlemen, I rage. I, I don't care, whatever. This is his formal response. He's just basically trying to say, like, I'm sorry for what I did. But Scooter had nothing to do with it. He's always supported you. I think what you're doing is attention seeking and had absolutely no point. We should talk. And I think you crossed a line again. What a man doesn't see is that what she was trying to accomplish by posting that blog is not to get sympathy or to get her fans to bully Scooter. It was to aid in young women being aware to not get themselves in terrible business deals. It was to showcase a a firsthand example of a male ego overtaking loyalty and good decision making because they'd rather prove a point and punish somebody who disagreed with them because their butt hurt then do the right thing. And also, it was to share her own personal experience with her fans who love and support her, just like you did when you slept with that hooker. I don't know. What do you want from me? I I don't dislike Justin Bieber. I just don't think he added any value to the situation. It just made him look worse than Haley Baldwin. <sighs> anyway, friendly reminder that there's that video of Taylor walking past Justin at like the VMAs or some award show and she like sticks out her tongue and makes a face when she sees Selena and him talking. We all know we cheated on Selena. We all watched the video for the heart once what it wants. Uh, we all saw them like go run away from that like 
weird uh, convenience store allegedly buying drugs on Radar Online. I mean, we know their relationship was bad news. We know they're not a good influence on each other. I'm sure Justin's reformed in some ways, and I'm sure he's trying to better himself. And I think a lot of his intentions, you know, I think he probably wants to be a good guy. And I understand coming to your friend's defense, but I just think it's so important anymore to not... To, to 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 figure out what it's 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 not always about what you think it's about to read between the lines and to acknowledge when something's capturing a broader issue that you're too dense or you're too far removed from it to have experienced yourself so w- where it gets more interesting and the people that are going way in are yael scooter's wife who respectably founded f cancer which i'm sure you all are familiar with She's an advisor at Bumble. She's done a lot in the charity nonprofit world. I am sure she is a good, kind, perfectly decent human. But her response to this, this is this to me is an example of a a, a not thought out knee jerk response. And I do not like when people peg women speaking up for themselves or being strong and in their convictions as being like emotional. But like, I do think that she didn't think through what this looked like in terms of the broader conversation and how strong the Taylor Swift fandom is. And truly the way it was written was so condescending, so gross, so, so much patriarchal language that I was like, I don't know whether to be like angry or feel sad for her that this is, this is how her thought process works. But Basically, she says, I don't should I read? I just don't know if I read things. Is that like so boring? Is that helpful at all? Um, I'm sorry. I'm looking it up right now. It's kind of long. She says, I have never been one for a public airing of laundry, but when you attack my husband, here we go. Let's start with Taylor Swift. Whoa. Then let's get the facts straight. You were given the opportunity to own your masters. You passed. Interesting that the man you're so grossed out by believed in you more than you believe in yourself. Are you fucking kidding me? believed in you more than you believe in yourself do you know what the balls it took for her to just post this to explain her personal experience do you think she wants any of this she wants the right to her own freaking art and yeah she passed on her masters because they were wrapped in a prison sentence of a contract she is a smart woman for doing so and if you call yourself a businesswoman you should acknowledge that (sighs) and then the part that says, interesting that the man you're so grossed out by believed in you more than you believe in yourself. What are you talking about? How do you, what, like how, if she didn't believe in herself, how would she know? I, she's been, you know, displaying nothing but assertive, confident behavior and standing up for herself for once because she's free from the shackles of the contract that your husband's going to dole out to tons more young pop starlets, I'm sure. But like, why did why say that? Believed in you more than you believe in yourself. That makes no sense. She then goes on to say, your dad is a shareholder and was notified. And Borchetta personally told you before this came out. So no, you didn't find out with the world. And girl, who are you to talk about bullying? The world has watched you collect and drop friends like wilted flowers. Okay. I mean, honestly, just out of like, for the sake of prose, let's find a better analogy. Wilted flowers. It just like doesn't collect and drop friends like I don't know she has a lot of the same friends she's been lifelong friends with a lot of people she's been made of honor twice pretty thick as thieves with a, a lot of these people unless you 
really betray her, mess up if you have falling out. I mean, things happen with friends. I think most people realize that. But why are you like associating the evolution of friendships with bullying? When has she ever publicly bullied a friend? And wilted flowers, you know, I don't know why they'd be wilted upon collection and drop because the way the sentence is phrased is, is very confusing. And she's suggesting she drops the friends when the flowers wilt. And some would say, you know, when the flowers that we grew together died of thirst, you know, if any of her friends were her love interests, like detailed and clean, perhaps they did turn to wilted flowers and drop them because that was in the event of a breakup and not just a normal friendship falling out. But still not bullying, still doesn't make sense. Still just going along with the narrative that the world thinks about her squad and not actually using fact. Beyond that, it's easy to see that the point of putting this out was to get people to bully him. You were supposed to be a role model, but continue to model bullying. Again, why are we pointing out? Why are we taking her down for speaking a truth about her own experience as a victim of bullying? And instead of choosing to believe her doubling down and not even take, thinking for a second, the people she's saying did this, uh, holding them accountable, but just instead saying that the people who hurt her are actually the good guys and she's the one doing all the harm. Like, it's so incomprehensible to me. She goes on to say, he's a manager, not God. He cannot control the actions of other humans, even once he manages. Don't blame him because Kim caught you in a lie. It's embarrassing, I know. But adults own up to their mistakes. We learn and grow from them. We don't divert blame and blur the lines of reality to suit our needs. Again, you don't have the facts. She agreed to some of it, but not all of it. And don't be so condescending and like, gross like don't blame him because kim caught you in a lie it's embarrassing i know like come on it's just like i i the oh, if i was reading this about oh my god what you haven't seen is what happens behind closed doors when he has supported and stood up for you cool then do it outside of closed doors do it to her face apologize for what he was involved in like clearly whatever's gone down she has it's never been reconciled in person Otherwise, I don't think she'd say that. Like, why are people arguing for the stuff she doesn't know happened? She doesn't know what happened. When, okay. Then she goes on to say, when he has challenged his clients to be kind or be quiet. When he has reached an olive branch out to you on numerous occasions. Probably because he wanted to manage her. Scott Scooter. His name's Scott, too. Oof. A lot of Scots. As I said on Instagram, none of us are getting out of this situation. Scott free. <laughs> um... She says, Scooter was so excited to work and build with you. How embarrassing th this temper tantrum is because you didn't get your own way. He believes in you and supports you. I sincerely can hope to you can learn to love yourself and believe in yourself the way my husband does. Lastly, if you think he can control his clients, please control your fans. Leave our personal life and kids out of this. She never brought your personal life or your kids into this. In fact, it was actually just business and you're the one making it personal. You don't understand yet what line that crosses, but one day you will. Shaming her for not having kids. Very cool, very cool, very feminist, very, very uh, in alignment with the women helping women, you know, mission of Bumble Biz, which she's on the board of. And we all know Bumble's about women making the first move. And I would hope that the women who are all about this women supporting women, empower women company, you know, would perhaps herald principles of not shaming women for not having kids, not telling women that they should believe in themselves because men believe in them not calling a woman who's speaking up for herself as having a temper tantrum, not calling somebody classless because the second you bring up class is when you need to look in a mirror and realize you have none. I, I, I truly 
And this ab- above any statement, for some reason, this incites me the most because it's from a woman who is an entrepreneur who is well respected, who is involved with a lot of female focused companies and who just babbled off the most ancient patriarchal tale as old as time narrative of a person reacting with zero facts of blindly defending people and making it not about what it's about, of missing the entire point of invalidating a victim's experience and ultimately making it about them to insert themselves in the conversation. I'm pretty sure she believes in herself. I'm pretty sure she doesn't need your husband to feel better. And I'm pretty sure that she had no intention of her fans directly bullying him, but rather being transparent with her fans for a bunch of young women who need to understand that this is how women are often treated in business. And to suggest that Standing up for yourself and speaking your truth and speaking from a place of personal experience, even if, unfortunately, it includes some negative information about other people. A, why is she? Why? Why is? Why are you supposed to protect the people that hurt you? And B, in what world is are are we dismissing women who are standing up for themselves as having temper tantrums? That argument has been used to discredit women and discredit victims. Since the beginning of time, I, I just think this entire di- this t- entire dialogue Yael chose to engage in, it, it doesn't feel proportionate to what Taylor said about Scooter. It may be proportionate to the fans taking it upon themselves to bully Scooter, which, again, you know, the only valid part is that it's hard to control people. Scooter can't control everybody and you can't control your fans. But also managing somebody is controlling them and he manages a very small finite group of people whereas taylor Swift has millions and millions of fans but whatever um it just didn't feel proportionate to what she said about scooter she just called him a bully in two very specific situations but, but yael is the one doing a broader character attack without facts without specifics it's just like you you collect and lose friends you're like you threw a temper tantrum you should be embarrassed you don't believe in yourself as much as my husband does it's, it's like what it's, it's over the top, and I just cannot even believe this is still even up on Instagram. And I get defending your family, and I would defend my husband, like, tooth and nail. But I also wouldn't speak out of turn. And I also, more often than not, in a situation that I personally wouldn't want to be in myself and I wouldn't lie about, I try to take a beat to consider if there's any merit to the way the situation was received by the person and not just what my husband's intentions were because intentions are different from how they're received. And it's fine that that's, uh, that's her experience. It's like what she said, I just don't feel like was that bad. And the bad part is her fans bullying him, whatever, but isn't he a grown ass man worth hundreds of millions of dollars? Like, I don't know. I just think that Taylor's Taylor Swift's she's, she's the one that's losing. She got in a garbage business deal only to be, you know, granted with the generous offer of an even more garbage business deal that she declined and ultimately had to walk away from her own blood, sweat and tears of her masters into another contract that hopefully will give her a bright future that she's still in in progress of. Whereas your husband's just like sitting pretty and bought the rights to the masters and like he's fine, like. Why are we more worried about him than, you know what I mean? It's like, I just, I just don't understand on so many levels. Okay. So then Tadra Call has entered the chat. This is where it gets crazy. Er. Which is also sung by Taylor Swift. Hopefully owned by Disney because I do believe it was for the Hannah Montana movie. 
soundtrack. So he says, I would normally not say anything because I'm sure Scooter will threaten me like he has before to keep me quiet. But guess what, Scooter? Nothing you can do to me would be worse than the six years of my life I can't get back from when I was ignored as your artist. Also, men sending women in parentheses their wives to carry out their patriarchal bullshit is the worst form of feminist and human betrayal of all time looking at you yael and Haley. and he says i truly hope justice is served and that my friend's music will fall into the hands of a better human and then he goes for those asking i left scooter braun a long time ago i am saddened by this news but not shocked he's an evil person whose only concern is his wealth and feeding his disgusting ego i believe he is homophobic and i know from his own mouth that he is not a taylor swift fan whoa 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 big 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 accusations wouldn't throw around the homophobic card unless I had firsthand experience, unless I knew that for a fact. And he is a gay man who was under his management. You know, he knew he knew this was opening a can of worms. So then people on Scooter's team accuse him of like not paying people he worked with and like owing money. And then he responds by it took eight months to pay off an 800K project that I did with no help and no label. Uh, the Scooter's team is like attacking him. It's kind of weird. Um, I don't want to get into that because this is already so long, but, you know, that there's a lot of like side characters that are saying horrible things that fortunately have smaller followings. Actually, that was after Demi Lovato. This is so confusing. So Demi says, I have dealt with bad people in the industry and Scooter is not one of them. He's a good man. Personally, I'm grateful he came into my life when he did. Please stop dragging people or bullying them. There's enough hate in this world as it is. So Todd Todrick in response is like, oh, hell no. Like, the, the you can't invalidate my experience with him seeming homophobic. I'm a gay man. I worked with him for six years. I'm allowed to think that it's not coming out of nowhere. So he says, uh, I realized Demi commented on Insta. Also, this is very unfortunate because I love Demi and her music. Been a fan for years. Not trying to start a fight with her because she has nothing to do with it. Being black and being black and gay in this industry is hard as hell. And it was even harder when I signed with that man. And unless somebody has walked in my shoes, I don't care to compare their experiences to mine, period. Also, stop using your one client who identifies as queer to stand up for you. There's no way Demi saw my tweet. That means someone from your team is reaching out to them, using them to defend you. Fight your own battles. Demi doesn't have Twitter. PSA, just because you have a black friend doesn't mean you can't still be a racist. And just because you're not picketing against gay marriage doesn't mean you're not homophobic. I said what I said and I believe what I believe. Dear Demi, first off, why did you delete your tweet? I thought she didn't have Twitter. I'm so confused. Secondly, I love you and listen to your music religiously. But thirdly, you cannot compare your experience to mine especially with someone I was with for six years and you've only just signed with. Because she was saying, like, he swept in at my worst time. I don't know. It's confusing. Demi inserts herself. She also was, like, saying, like, when Taylor Swift donated, like, $250,000 to help Kesha during her Dr. Luke, tri Dr. Luke trials with, like, all the legal fees and stuff. Um, Demi was, you know, like, if you really care, do something at Capitol Hill. And I don't know, whatever. It's like, I don't care, Demi. Um, I'm like a little older than the Camp Rock era, so she's not particularly my fave. Anyways, getting back into it, a bunch more people. I think Todrick and Yael were kind of like the two biggest contributors that fueled the fire and that just made this trend and, and absolutely blow up. But I think the the other side of this is the people that really supported her, whether Iggy Azalea in a sentence I never thought I'd say, making total sense, telling, talking about how telling somebody about a deal days before it's public means the deal was already done. And she's, she's never, she must've never had an opportunity to even make a bid on her own work because those deals take months to negotiate. 
Um, she had a lot of support from Halsey, which was really sweet, given Halsey wrote a song about her in her youth. Uh, Sia came out against her for Scooter, which is annoying because I love Sia. Um, and then there's one one like cute anecdote that I wanted to share that I saw is this man named um, Robert Ellis Oral, O-R-A-L-L. He's a musician who began co-writing with Taylor and producing demos for her when she was 12 years old. And to this day, he owns all of her unreleased demos and not one of them has ever been leaked. I'm sure they're worth, worth a fortune and I, I don't think he has any relationship with Taylor. But he says it's because Scott entrusted him with the demos and so he just never did anything with them. And this person on Tumblr said, shoot, I don't have their name screenshotted, um, said that today Scott Borchetta sold 14 years worth of Taylor's recorded music to a man who harassed Taylor on social media like it was a sport because it was convenient to do and he was the highest bidder. Um, I just think everybody should know about Robert Ellis Oral. And then... His Instagram handle, this Robert guy, he's, it's at Bob something. And he sees this post on Instagram and commented and said, OMG, I haven't been reading the news. I'm going to Google it now. My collection of unreleased co-writes and 50 to 100 of her very early demos have never been copied or left my office. No exceptions. To be clear, most of those demos are songs she wrote by herself as early as 11 years old. They'll never see the light of day because they were never meant to. And I made a promise to Andrea and Scott. Slow. Clap. I mean, what a stand up guy. I, I I just thought that was sweet. And I wanted to point it out because I really hope she I don't know, at least sends him some merch, you know, that heart confetti. I, I feel like he deserves a lot of credit. And I just I, I, I am so warm. My I am so my heart is warmed by people with unwavering senses of integrity. And even though you would hope that's the expectation, it just so often is not. Um, the other piece too, is that Scooter, the he never, he was silent the whole time. The only thing he posted some things congratulating him on the acquisition of big machine. Cause again, it's a more artist than just Taylor, but the grossest thing is that he reposted a story from his friend, David Gertman that insinuated that he now owns the pop star when he wrote, when your friend buys Taylor Swift and Braun reposted it. I mean, so foul so disgusting you don't own a woman you can't own her you don't own me don't tell me what to do don't tell me what to say like uh, diane keaton bet midler goldie Hawn, fuck you you don't own me i just cannot even that's so gross and that just shows the type of guy he is is my point like are we all really arguing that his character shouldn't be defamed when he's out there saying he owns somebody who is on a different label like Ew, it just goes to show the malice behind this acquisition to me. And I, I just can't understand why anybody can, how you can see it any other way. I don't know, guys. There's, there's so many other people and places and things. And we're at an hour and 40 minutes. And I, I just, I think that I'm just so fascinated, not only by the fact that in the music industry, the standard procedure is a lack of ownership to all aspects of your IP. And even though a label is essential for getting artists out there and for managing the production and distribution of the music, the fact that she didn't get to buy it for a fair price is wild. The fact that it was sold to allegedly the highest bidder, but also the person that has screwed over Taylor in the past, and Scott was well aware of that apparently, is wild. The, the, the fact that she's in an optimal position and she still couldn't get access to her masters and she still was only offered a garbage contract is wild. And beyond that, my obsession is with the reaction because 
Justin, Demi, Yael, people are making it about them. And by doing that, it dilutes her point about the injustices she's endured in the music industry. And it, it, all of a sudden turning this into a token celebrity feud where the point is getting completely lost. Because when something escalates to this level, the, the, the public's, you know, so quick to hate on Taylor. They're so willing to co- be like, she plays the victim. They're so willing to bring up old narratives of her being a liar. And then when it gets to that point of hype, nobody's looking into details. Everybody's making assumptions. And the people that responded to her are the ones that made it explode way more than I think she did and way more than I think she intended. I think she knew it would explode. She's not stupid. She's so famous. She's so influential. She knew she knew what she was saying. But also, I'm not going to sit here and say that she didn't have the right to say any of that if it was her own truth and her own personal experience. And that's, I guess, what I don't understand that people don't see is why can't she tell us what happened through her eyes? And I feel like I didn't give enough credit to her other supporters. Like Spencer Pratt has always been such a champion. Ed Sheeran finally acknowledged, like, I talked to her directly on an Instagram comment. Like he said, I talk, I speak with her directly like I always do, because there was a moment when I was like, okay, she, I mean, Ed Sheeran's on track to be like a billionaire. I I think it's because his shows have minimal overhead, but apparently it's because of his tours, which blows my mind. Good for him. Hate his song with Justin Bieber. Um, But, you know, as most great friends do, you, you can understand that your relationship has little to do with their relationship with other people. And you know what I mean? Like, I just think the older you get, the more you're not like in these obsessive conversations about the transitive properties of loyalty. And some things are just business. And sometimes people don't get along and sometimes it is what it is. So, I mean, the fact that Ed's, Ed and her are still talking has me relieved. I was at a time kind of like, okay, she really did make Ed Sheeran and she really did do a lot for Sean Mendez. And I wish some of these guys would talk out, but I understand that not everybody's in a position to be able to do that. Um, Brendan Urie also did an amazing uh, live stream. I think he does one every week where he called Scooter out and said he isn't surprised by all of the drama that it's typical toxic dudes doing toxic bullshit in a toxic industry. And you know what? I just appreciated the confirmation and God bless him. Honestly, li- knew nothing about Panic at the Disco before me and a huge Brendan Urie fan. Very attracted to him. I think that he is just seems like a ball of positive energy, but he's also a great dancer and entertainer. And I just I don't know. I, I find him so endearing. So lastly, I'm going through my questions on Instagram. I checked when I first started recording and there was like a couple hundred, and I think I recorded, uh, responded to a lot of the overarching themes, and some of them I already answered. Um, but I just want to scroll through and see what I think. Do you think it's because Scooter always wanted to manage Taylor? Now it's control. That's interesting, and probably who wouldn't want to manage Taylor? Why did Rachel Zoe shade Taylor? Because she is very close friends with Yael, Scooter's wife. Yael, Sarah Foster, Aaron Foster, Jen Meyer, I think like kind of Kate Hudson, Serena Williams, Whitney Hurd. Like there's kind of this group, they call it like a like the Hollywood mom crew. And um, they're all very close friends. Rachel Zoe has a dress called the Yael. I assume, you know, she's just a close personal friend of both Scooter and his wife and therefore is jumping to conclusions. I can relate to not knowing all the details, but somebody 
that I love or know pretty well being taken down and you just kind of want to come to their defense because you know their heart and what they're all about. And like, that's fine. I don't, I think it says less about Taylor and more about her loyalty to Yael or to Scooter. And again, just like I don't want anybody discounting Taylor's personal negative experience, they're allowed to have a positive experience in friendship with somebody like that's fine. It's just don't silence somebody else for feeling otherwise. Um, can we get a high level synopsis? I mean, I don't know if this is high level, but cool. Why didn't she care about not owning her masters until the merge? Well, no, she did care, but she had no choice because they put her, they were going to give her an awful deal where she'd be trapped in well into her forties by doing a, give us an album. You'll get one back sort of situation instead of allowing her to buy them outright. If she could have, I think she would have. I don't think she had an opportunity to buy the label, nor would she want to, nor do I know if she would be allowed to. And if that's a conflict of interest with her being assigned to another label, you know, but she very much, all she cared about were her masters. Um, do you honestly believe Scooter bought this to bully TS like a $300 million flex? No, I don't. I think Scooter is a businessman who wants assets within his portfolio. And I think that Scott pursued him perhaps to spite her or didn't tell her the extent of their existing relationship because he knew very well that she would not be okay with it. Do I know about the Carlisle funding? Yes. Why is Justin Bieber even a part of this? I hope I answered. Every shady thing Scooter has done. Oh my gosh. That I mean, like I talk about him a lot on this podcast and I talked about him a ton during like the Pete Davidson, uh, Ariana Grande, the, the celeb name that I loved, Grandson, that era when they were engaged. And I do believe the episode is called Tattoo, Good to be True. Um, do you think... Scott forbade Tay from speaking out pub, pub, politically or possibly coming out. I do think that there is an element of being a historically country music label and a contract that was inked in what, I don't know, 2007. Like one, I don't even know when they first signed on. Um, I'm really bad at remembering dates if I'm straying from my notes. Um, but yeah, I'm sure there was a lot of stipulations that would affect his bottom line if she risked talking Speaking out politically in a way that wasn't ultimately aligned with the majority of the core country audience and the label associated with it. Possibly coming out, I don't know. I am at a point where I just am so unsure of like all of the rainbow imagery and LGBTQ positive messaging associated with uh, Lover so far with me, with You Need to Calm Down. And she says she's an ally, but the important thing to remember is that it's several letters. It's L G it's B it's T it's Q it's plus. I think we're doing I and we're doing a, I'm, I, I need to get more up to speed on what the appropriate language is. And I'm sorry if I don't have it, but if you are a lesbian, you can be an ally of bisexual people and trans people. And if you're a trans person, it doesn't mean you're gay and you are an ally to gay and bisexual and people who identify as queer. So I think people need to remember it's not an ally is not an absolute term for a person that's outside of LGBTQ plus it's a term for a person that aligns themselves in support of any of those letters. Um, how to help Taylor. What shouldn't we do? 
what would give money to Scooter and said, I agree. And that's something I'm going to have a lawyer on to talk about because I don't want to tell you the wrong thing. Um, but I do know that typically it takes a while for acquisitions to go through. And I highly doubt that like starting yesterday, he is getting funneled money. But honestly, I'm not sure. Is Biebs on the same team as Taylor or no? I'm confused by him and Haley. No, absolutely not. He's saying like he loves her, but he thinks she was looking for attention by calling out Scooter in an effort to get him bullied, which I disagree with. And I think Bieber and Haley are just, you know, he's managed by Scooter. He probably loves Scooter. Scooter made his career. Understandable. Um, Why did she claim she found out with the rest of the world? Well, we don't have screenshots and we don't have official timestamps of any kind. And for all we know, she could be in London. I don't know the times like the time zone issue as it relates to her being informed. And also, I don't know if like do famous people check their phone religiously? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I, I She might have been doing something else. I'm not sure. Um, she might have been aware there was a sale pending and not know who it was for. We just have no way of knowing. I just like to think that you wouldn't waste your breath lying about something petty that would so easily be found out. You know what I mean? I just found Scott's argument to be so smarmy and unfounded, and he lost all credibility with me when he brought up uh, Parkland and Manchester. Does TS hate Scooter solely because of the Kimye incident? Um, Mostly surrounding that incident, yes. But that was, the, in her words, her lowest point. What are the receipts that Scoot Scott posted and do they incriminate T-Swift? No, nothing from Scoots. And Scott did not provide receipts. He merely provided summaries of receipts. Don't you feel like the way Taylor made her points invalidated her overall message? You know, I think this is a problem with how people receive strong messages and statements is if they seem emotional or they seem inflexible or a little harsh the delivery seems to invalidate the message but I actually thought she was completely lucid and I but again I am a person who's been copied incessantly and I just feel very strongly about how a person feels about what they've worked so hard to create because so much of what you create makes you un like will never make you successful it's impossible to have a successful creative career and the stuff that actually lands I would be guarding with my life um, why isn't Joe showing his support, assuming the relationship is real? He's, 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 I mean, they don't even, they, I mean, they've ne- he's never really, like he has to, they beg him to talk about her and he's still like, seems a bit smug about it. And I, I, again, I don't really understand, um, you know, why this is just so, 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 so private, no social media interaction beyond likes and all that stuff. And the... Even like Calvin and Co, like they tweet and they'd post and stuff. But this one is just so under wraps. The Carly Kloss of it all. Again, I said that <laughs> I addressed that earlier. Um, what do I think about Scooter not speaking out directly? I think it's smart if he just wants it to pass because at the end of the day, he's the one who bought it. It's his. Like I again, like people are so sympathetic to Scooter, and I'm like, he's fine. Um. Oh gosh, they're so. As Carly commented, no. Oh, thank you to anybody who's willing to pay for this. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be annoying. Can she pay play old songs at Lover Tour without having to pay a percentage of ticket sales to Scooter? Yes, she owns publishing rights. She just cannot play the original recordings of the song, but she can play the songs themselves live. 
Is the whole thing a PR stunt? Any argument? The truth is probably in the middle. I don't think it's a PR stunt. I actually, I really, really wondered if the Jordan Woods thing was a PR stunt with the Kardashians, but watching the episode on Sunday and seeing it unfold, they really didn't seem like they were acting. And while I think that it was a bit strategic for them to comment instantaneously, I do think it was interesting watching them just react and then mess up and then retract it and then adjust. And it was educational for me. And I admit that I'm wrong sometimes, but when things seem too convenient, like them not having a single story arc besides Jordan this season, and we all watch just like waiting for that episode to come on, you get suspicious, you know? But no, I do not think this is a PR stunt. This is very, very real. It's a real acquisition by a real company with a serious amount of money and very real emotion behind it about a topic which she would not mess around, I don't think, in terms of her life's work. Um, Scoot Kirshner relationship. Like, obviously, they're close. Scooter was at Carly's wedding. They're really close friends. I honestly just don't think Carly's part of it anymore. I don't think they're friends. I, I just I, I, I wish they were. But like, I just don't think we have any reason to think that they are. I totally understand and agree that like it's fun to like, you know, kind of wonder about and to incorporate into every situation. But like I just for once do not think it really has much to do with the situation other than how weird it is that she was so close to two people that were managed by him at one point. She's still close to Todrick and Todrick obviously has a lot to say about his character. Um how is Taylor doing? That's a very nice question. I hope okay, and I hope she's gearing up for Tamerica, hashtag Tamerica 2019. And, you know, I would drop everything to go. I'd honestly drop everything to, like, stand at a, at a nearby vista and, you know, just binocular it up. Not in a weird way, but just in a way of, like, feeling like I'm a part of it. <laughs> um, do you think she'll limit press leading up to Lover's release to avoid talking about this? I sure as hell hope not. I really think this is this era is more about, like, Communication with her fans, transparency about some of her struggles, promotion of any cause that can and will help people moving forward to have a less difficult time than she did or than her peers did who have faced different situations. And I just am praying that we actually get an unfiltered, honest version of her, which I know is unlikely given everything needs to be kind of marketed and branded a certain way, but it sure would be nice. Then there's something about Taylor's Amazon concert. My, my, Intel tells me that it's people who streamed Taylor Swift songs the most on Prime now prioritized by proximity to the tri-state area where the concert is. It makes sense. If I had a streaming platform, do you think I'm going to reward people who listen to her on my competitor? Like, no, it makes total sense. And good for those people for, you know, jumping ship to a less popular streaming platform. Hope it pays off in spades. Does she have any chance of getting her music back slash being able to purchase it? According to the Copyright Act of 1976, I do believe after 30 years of ownership, an artist has the ability to buy back their work. Pretty sure I read that. Um, but I I don't, as it looks now, I don't think so. Um, if I stream TS on Spotify, we're Scooter Benefit. Yes, in some way. But I, again, want to break that down for you specifically and accurately and not speak out of turn. Would love David Foster's opinion. I mean, who wouldn't? The David Foster, that guy knows, he's the Wizard of Oz. He's the all-knowing voice of the music industry. He, like, you know, every major power ballad he was at the helm of, at least the ones I like. I was even reading about Prince earlier, and it's like mentioning him 500 times. I mean, truly, I, I, I cannot 
I've been questioning, like, why do you keep getting married if you have all these crazy spousal support payments and you've been married four times? Like, just stop getting married. Just date. Like, I'm sure a lot of people would be happy to date you. He seemed very nice on The Real Housewives. And he got married to Catherine McPhee last week, um, who I have trouble with because I associate her with her unlikable character on Smash. So I'm sure she's a likable character in person. I do struggle with that at times. But, uh, you know, I think he just has that that level of FU money that, like, he can afford to throw a lady a few mil here and there should their marriage dissolve. Okay, I'm going through this. There's so, I mean, what does Selena think? I don't know. Um, I... Why would a grown man choose to be called Scooter? Uh, can you explain re-recording of her masters? Yeah, well, I think I, you, I hope I suggested this earlier. So a master is the original recording. It's like the radio version, the album version. It's, it's what we all already own. It's what we're, we're all already used to. If she wanted to record over 100 songs of all of her work, she could. But that's extremely unlikely. Most artists wouldn't do it in full. JoJo did it for some of her hits so she could own them. But theoretically, you could re-record your masters so you could have ownership of them because you have publishing rights to the songs, which, again, are not the recordings. It is the composition, the lyrics, the production of song, etc. Do you think he'll offer to sell her masters because of bad press? No way, Jose. All biz. All, all bottom line. This too shall pass. He shall be rich. What do you think is going to happen next? I don't really think anything. I think we're just, I hope, I'm praying, going to get a killer album, a killer confessional album with a lot of stuff she wasn't able to say under Big Machine. I'm not saying she shouldn't have spoken out, but why hasn't Taylor learned to do this one-on-one? I totally understand this question, and at times I'm like, I'm like dying thinking of all the criticism she's getting, and I'm like, don't you want to save yourself, you know, this pain I would, of, of which I'm sure she's getting so much heat. But I actually, like I said earlier, think there's a broader, more important message here of being taken advantage of and of the role of male egos in a lot of business decision making. Why do you think more people aren't talking about Carlyle Group's funding and their ties to Yemen? Because, again, like there's these... The, the funding for a lot of horrible things in the world are also under the same umbrella as a lot of the things everybody uses all the time that they don't think to look into. I'm not saying they shouldn't, but I'm saying I think it's it can be glossed over just like anything else. I mean, they have investments in, in Beats, headphones, in Golden Goose shoes, in Dr. Pepper 7-Up, in Duncan brands, in the sectors of Johnson & Johnson, and Oriental Trading, in Montclair... In Nature's Bounty, I, I just captured a few from a list I read earlier. It's, my point is that it's not important. My point is that it's more common than you think. And I think that it's an issue 100% worth raising, just like Hassan did with Supreme. But that since this is more common than people may think, it just isn't specifically as, as relative to the situation as one may think, especially because it's not the person who Taylor as she is now and who holds her future, she's not being funded by them, you know? Is anything they did illegal or just unethical? Not illegal, just frustrating. Lapses of integrity and some might say unethical. Depends on who you ask. Do you think she'll fall back into a hiding period? No, I think she'll come to life more. What is the relationship between Scott Swift and Big Machine? He uh, owned 4%, but Scooter will be buying out his shares. Of any minority stakeholders. How does Geffen factor into this? 
I don't know. I mean, he's close with Carly and Josh, but again, separating them for now, uh, he's just a mega mogul that has a lot of people on his yacht, but Taylor Swift to date has not been one of them. And Geffen is, if you read blind items or look into anything in the internet, is a spearheader of something called the Velvet Mafia. But who the hell knows what's actually true? Uh, what, why is this any different than what happened to the Beatles or Prince? It's not. I don't know if I said this earlier, but yeah, Paul McCartney also had to fight when Michael Jackson acquired the rights to the masters for a lot of Beatles songs for Bruce Springsteen's work. I mean, he got a huge, huge portfolio and Paul McCartney fought it for years. Prince very famously fought it for years. It's not different. And I think that it's just a fight that you have to be at a certain level of fame to even take on. But even in doing that, it's exhausting and thankless and not everybody's equipped to do it. And she's trying once again and succeeded in getting a more favorable contract, which she's not the first, but I think she's a trailblazer in terms of pop artists being able to do this, who have a shorter legacy than some of the artists who have been able to do this previously. Oh, the person said I was initially upset, but I realize this happens all the time. Yeah, no, that's, that was kind of my point with like being you shouldn't be upset that this happens you should be upset that if nobody was trying and nobody was pushing back, if nobody was having a dialogue whatsoever, I think it's so important to have a dialogue anytime things are the way they are and need to be changed. But I think the part people are upset about is the perception of uh, lying, manipulation, deceit, of revenge taken out by Scott in choosing Scooter as the most fit buyer, knowing very well the issues Taylor had with him and how upset she would be that he owned her life's work. Okay, I think, I mean, I'm not even halfway through these, but I think I probably saw the other half this morning. Why does she name her albums the way she does? Oh, like reputation, lowercase, red, all caps. I don't know, maybe to stand out, maybe to be different. I'm into it. Ariana Grande was writing her words upside down for a while, which I didn't like, so I much prefer Taylor's more low-key lack of usage of capitalization or pro-usage of all caps. Why didn't Taylor buy Big Machine when it was on sale for six months prior to the deal? I don't know if she had the option. I don't know if she was trying to decide if she was going to stay or go. And I don't know if there's a conflict of interest. If you own a record label with a ton of other artists and you're signed to another record label that's directly competitive with the artists on your label, is that not somewhat of a con like conflict of interest? I, I really am not sure. I would assume you would need to be associated with your own label. And there's something that was going on behind the scenes that really... Uh, it made her departure with Big Machine imminent. Her dad's involvement already answered. Sorry, I'm really trying. Also very interested why the heat is on Scooter, not Borchetta. I agree. I actually think way more needs to be on Scott B. Obviously, we have Todrick's commentary about Scooter and his his experience sounds horrible, and I fully believe him. And I want more information on that. Because it was so specific and I'm it's it's hard because no one else is really like coming like coming to talk about it. And that's when you start to get concerned, like, geez, are these people just way too powerful that they have too, more to lose than to gain by speaking out? But I just don't think Todrick's at a point in his career where he can afford to take risks like that. And he wouldn't say that if he didn't really mean it and didn't really feel like there was value in sharing his experience in defense of his friend and to shed light on a very powerful person's true colors. All right. As you can see, we're approaching nightfall. My voice gets lower and uh, I I just can't. I don't I, I, a lot of your questions are in, like the same tone, even though I want to answer them individually. 
I think I got most of it. Tug was having a meltdown. And, you know, it's, it's hard to like summarize how I feel about this overall, but I just, you know, it's interesting because I, I feel like throughout this podcast, I've had a lot of different feelings. I was so frustrated with her not doing press during refutation. And I was frustrated with how drawn out the process of announcing TS7 and having lead singles was. And her first two singles aren't for me for the ages, but that doesn't matter. Like, they're both great songs that are so important to a lot of people that celebrate individuality and celebrate inclusivity. And for that, I applaud her. For that, I say that was necessary. And for that, I compliment the move in a business sense, even if it's not my personal favorite song. I think that every artist comes to terms with the fact that not everything they do is going to be everybody's favorite. But when push comes to shove, I support her. And she has done more for me personally, getting through tougher times with her music and for my career in terms of just the engagement level of when you start to talk about her that I try to not take advantage of and I, I want to do justice to if I'm going to be at all gaining from, you know, putting her in the conversation. And I've read an, uh, a, a quote from CNN today and it said that the headline on CNN, a lot of you guys sent me this, was like Taylor Swift, every woman faces a Justin Bieber. And it said the reaction to Swift's choice to publicly denounce what she believes to be a calculated sale of her life's work to a man she says she no longer wanted to be associated with was immediate. And to anyone remotely paying attention to how women are still treated in the United States, predictable. And I agree. I think that you can bring up her past and you can project her former media persona and you can choose to further the surface level narratives that have plagued her for many, many years or for a moment, you as a woman or a man or a person that creates something, a person that respects themselves can understand what it's like to be in the shoes of a person that has dedicated their entire life to ideating, creating, executing, performing, and evolving their craft, of which every single word and beat is a product of your heart and soul and your genuine, sincere effort to be a person that speaks from a confessional, vulnerable, helpful standpoint in their songwriting, as opposed to going into it with an agenda to be a pop superstar that is agnostic from their lyrics or their musical production. She, she went into it for the right reasons. She's maintained the right reasons and she's evolved staying true to what she's always promised and that her music will be about her life and that she puts it out to the world so it can become about ours. And I just want people to think about how it would feel to have your greatest enemy, to have somebody that hurts you, to literally own and have access to and to dictate the use of everything you've worked for in your entire life up until this point. And sure, you have your future and that's great. And sure, you'll hedge your bets on yourself any day. But even as a huge pop star, the most famous person in the world, you're still a human and you're still a person that put a ton of effort and takes a lot of pride in that work. 
and you're still a person that feels uncertain about your future at times, as I'm sure you do with every album launch. I'm sure as she does with the reception of Lover so far because it's so different. And I, for one, am hopeful because I think that if she, we have a, we have a visual representation of TS6 being grounded in the Look What You Made Me Do video. And I rewatched it this morning and thought this is, this takes on a whole new meaning with Taylor. The, you know, the old Taylor can't come to the phone right now. Why? Because she's dead with who she's talking to with Look What You Made Her Do. She had an album with an edgy aesthetic with a an, an insistence to not do any press and i don't think it's exactly what big machine would have wanted for their last label and i think look what you made me do is kind of like you know the middle finger like the equivalent of sarah Bareilles' uh love song like i'm not going to write you a love song look what you made me do i'm just going to be this dark version of taylor the old taylor is dead right now this is the the last album you're getting under your contract that was specified to a certain number of albums and the ones that is particularly special to me TS6 that we're cutting off the plane wing and we're grounding is going to be TS7 with new management under my terms under my masters and f all y'all you know what i mean so i'm hoping that whatever she reserved for lovers incredibly special to her i'm glad that so far especially with you need to calm down it's been more of a statement about celebrating pride and promoting inclusivity and denouncing homophobia and all the things that who knows she really may not have been able to do under big machines thumb and she didn't do her first big political post about the midterms until after she was out of that contract so i just think there's so much about her behavior her actions and where she's spoken out and how she's spoken out that we'll never know because she was under such restrictive terms And I think there was a lot she was angry about that she was never going to be allowed to tell us. And I think that I look at the uh, undertone of rep a lot differently now. And I still see a lot of the romantic arcs and the themes as being the same as I always did. And it maybe makes more sense that at times I felt like she was always trying to say something without saying it, if that makes sense. So anyway, I'm excited for the future. And... I don't think I covered this ad nauseum, even though it's two hours long. Um, I somehow still probably have more to go, but I figured I should end here because I wanted to explain a lot of the background and I want to explain what I don't know for certain, but I feel like I have a good grasp on. And I did. I said this on Instagram yesterday, but in case you're new here or didn't see, I don't for a second assume everybody pays attention to everything I'm saying or doing all the time. But I really think this era is more about Taylor operating as a human being. I think she knows that the public's involvement is not always the best idea. And I think that the point of her speaking out lies within a few key messages that she and I hope will resonate with young women. And those messages are, You're allowed to be disappointed if someone fucks you over. You were the only person who can decide how it made you feel. Someone else's positive impression of a person doesn't invalidate your negative experience. And there is a difference between a careless overreaction and standing up for yourself. The former has been used to discredit the latter since the beginning of time, post-wisely. Leading with your potential in any business deal isn't delusional. Pushing back doesn't make you difficult. However, if you are wrong or do overreact by your own diagnosis, 
Don't be too proud to apologize. We all mess up. Be human. Say sorry. Be better next time. But above all else, as we all, T-Swift Nation, know all too well, is if a man talks shit, then you owe him nothing. And if he spends your change, then he had it coming. And with that, I will see you next week. Please go to patreon.com slash be there in five if you want to support the podcast. Please go to cjfoxlaw.com to learn more about IP and to use my my go-to for all things related to trademarks and copyrights. She's so smart, so wonderful, so flexible, and a, an attorney who's unlike all the other attorneys I've met. And just a friendly reminder, even though I'm currently privately brokering ads while, while I figure out the best place to host the fate of this podcast, because per our discussion today, there's an element of ownership that can happen going to a network or whatever. And I just, you know, I love this so much and I want it to be mine and my voice and what I have to say and tug what's growling in the background because he feels so strongly about the way that we communicate to you all. But my best case scenario is advertising for my listeners. So if you have a small business, if you work for one, a startup, whatever, you, uh, an event, whatever, always reach out at podcast at be there in five.com. I love to feature listeners doing awesome things. I swear I'm affordable. Would love to be a big shot. Getting close, but not quite there yet. So please, please, please reach out if I can ever help you out and get you some exposure to thousands and thousands of like-minded women, 25 to 49. And please follow me on Instagram at be there in five, be there in five.com by Twinkle Twinkle Social Media Star. The link is in the show notes. But above all else, I am so grateful that you were here. If you made it to this point at two hours long, I mean, God bless you. I know it's a lot. Brevity is not my strong suit, but you know, they say you should go into creative endeavors focusing on your strengths and not your shortcomings. And my strengths are detail. So I hope you liked it. I hope you'll come back, do a variety of deep dives in pop culture episodes that are kind of stream of consciousness, cover a lot of 90s and 2000s. I just did a really fun episode with Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. And uh, I did a deep dive on Jaclyn Hill's lipsticks on the influencer proposal. I have a fun episode with a new guest coming up next week. And I'm hopeful that I can keep this going and turn it into a job and monetize it and have it be a thing that actually brings people legitimate value every week. And I'm so grateful to be given the chance to build and I'm so happy to have you be a part of it. And even though this may seem redundant, this is perhaps more relevant than ever. I did use this song in a, a separate deep dive episode, my only political episode I've ever done, even though my argument was that it shouldn't be considered political. But I think that there, there's no, no, no one who will ever give me the goosebumps, give me the drive, give me the inspiration to be wearing a white pantsuit better than Diane Keaton, Bette Midler, and Goldie Hawn, who taught me very early on in my youth the importance of independence, of financial independence, of emotional strength, of resilience, and above all else, no matter if Scooter posted in an Instagram story, no matter if somebody you're with tries to tell you otherwise, you have the right to live your life the way that you want, to say and do whatever you please, as long as it's not hurting anybody else or against the law, much while like why I'm not using one of Scooter's now-owned songs of Taylor Swift. But above all else, no one owns you. We 
of total jurisdiction of who we are, what we say, how we act, and whose opinions we can decide carry any weight and will pay any rent in our heads. And that, my friends, is power. So with that, as always, let me know your thoughts, and I will let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear. Say, I don't tell you what to do, so just let me be mine.